0: I mean, How did Jesus speak to 5,000 people? Anyone? Water, yes, I do understand that sometimes that included that. That was helpful. Good morning. Nice to have you with us here on this uh, lovely Palm Sunday. Thank you for all the palm branches for decoration. They're beautiful. And then the Easter lilies that will be here next week, of course, I'm sure. My name is Randy, and uh, I used to teach a lot around here, and then I stopped, sort of. But I'm back, under the initiation of the Holy Spirit for a while. We're in a series that was initially going to sort of lead up to Easter next Sunday, but um, it, it now is going to move beyond that and towards Pentecost, which will be the first Sunday in June. And I'm uh, going to get a little bit of help from a friend for a couple of those weeks. And I I am highlighting and summarizing, um, not summarizing, what's the word? Reviewing uh, the material from various of the weeks because I believe I'm introducing some ways to think about uh, God and ourselves and later today the cross and the coming of Jesus, I I believe I'm expanding what we understand to some additional aspects that I think we may have missed. And so I'm I'm restating these things. I I think we, a lot of them, I think we really do sort of, yeah, yeah, that's right. Like the nature of God. God is triune. Yeah. Good. Got it. What in the world does that mean? How does that work? Okay, but I got it. God is love. Yep, got that. So here's that new word I'm throwing in. God is relational. All it is is another way to say that God's triune. But it goes beyond that because we speak about the Spirit, the Father, and the Son as being a community of love. And you can't be a community without being relational. Well, you could be, but you wouldn't have community. And then we talk about and, and we, we know that, well, where does God exist? God exists in heaven, right? We know that. And we know heaven is where? Up off in the beyond the galaxies in a land far, far away. I think somebody taught us to say. But I'm, I'm suggesting by the language of the New Testament and things that Jesus himself spoke, that heaven is right here. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's within grasp. The spiritual realm is all around us. The spiritual realm is not so much outside our universe, our world, but within so these statements about being in Christ or Christ being in us that don't make any sense from this spatial, physical aspect. Where's, where's Jesus? Oh, Jesus moved around. He's over here now. No, no, that's, that's a baby in a mother's womb. Not Jesus. And I think we struggle to grasp what does it mean to abide in Christ? Abide in Christ, Jesus speaks about that in in, uh, John chapter 15. I'm the vine, you're the branches, abide in me. You can do nothing without me. So these are concepts that we know, but I would suggest that we don't fully understand. And that's okay. We can grow to understand. I talked about the nature of humankind Humankind is created by God, humankind is created in the image and likeness of God, and humankind is created relationally male and female Here's that word relational again, okay we understand male and female means relationship right well, at least it did in that context it meant connected relationship intimacy. We are created is within our human being to have relationships we're born by. The participation of a mother and a father were born into a family in most cases, not always. Humankind, we're told in Genesis, was blessed by God, which means to kneel and praise. God looked at his creation. He said, man, this is awesome. You are awesome. Humankind was given oversight of the earth and its creatures. And we, and we reflect some of that, but there's some problems with that as well. I also talked about the nature of the human person. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, one of the descriptions that describes the aspects of the human person uh, identified in this text as spirit, soul, and body. But because humankind is relational, the human person as a part of humankind, doesn't exist as an isolated individual, but we exist in a social context. We exist in and among others. And we also exist within and related to our earth, the world systems, the cultures and governments, and, of course, our universe we also exist in this same relational sphere, the same relational realm that God lives in. Where God is. We're within that. And, and that's how we're within God. In this spiritual way that is non-spatial, non-physical, but is interconnected with the physical, and with us. And last week I, I, I began to move into the topic of God's intention for humankind and then the human dilemma. We uh, again were reminded that Adam and Eve had everything that our world tells us is desirable. They had a perfect environment. They possessed everything. They had an exalted position They had unhindered relationships of love, relationship, and they were living rightly ordered lives in relationship with God, within his community of love that they and we had been created to participate in. But then we reference the human dilemma presented with an alternative to trusting in God and His goodness. Adam and Eve made the choice to take charge of their lives and as a result of desire and lust for what they did not have, the outcome was that their human will, which was supposed to lead and help them to choose and live according to what is good and best, became subverted to and under desire. And their flesh took control of their lives and simultaneously they came into bondage to sinful desire. Created in the image of God, human beings were created as lovers. But in the garden, love was corrupted. It became twisted. Love turned from the purity of love for another to love of self. Their flesh took charge over their will. Desire and lust became their taskmaster that would dominate every human being from that point forward. Jesus declares in John 8.34, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. In bondage. Paul states the parallel. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? And what do slaves need to become free? How about deliverance? The people of Israel, they're in bondage, have this wonderful picture in the Old Testament, of the reality of the life of every human person. They are in bondage. God sends a deliverer and he saves them from their enslavement in, in, uh, and unto freedom heading towards this promised land. A land that sounds an awful lot like the Garden of Eden. Land flowing with milk and honey. I'm not sure the rivers were really milk. I thought that when I was a little boy, of course. And then the honey came down from the mountains is what I thought. And when Adam and Eve came under this bondage of sin and lust and desire... Humankind began this descent from love and life to aloneness and separation. The very thing we were created to be as relational beings became broken. Our relationship with ourselves became broken, our relationship with God became broken, and our relationships with one another. And even with our world became broken. Death entered the world. By questioning God's word, taking the path of reasoning to deception, setting themselves up as their own authority, they inadvertently submitted themselves and the earth to the master of rebellion and disobedience who became their dark lord. By enslaving God's creation, Satan enthroned himself as God over the earth and over humankind. Following the story of the fall in the book of Genesis, the writer begins to tell a story after story after story of humankind living according to their flesh. Wars and debauchery and all kinds of horrific things that we see all around us to this day. But alongside those stories of the fallenness and the evil and desire of humankind, there are stories of God's acts of salvation and deliverance, such as the Exodus that I referenced before. And by the time of Noah, not that long, we're not exactly sure, but a few hundred years, maybe-ish, depending on how time went in those days. Human action had escalated and was described this way. The Lord saw their wickedness of humankind was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. The Lord was grieved by this and his heart was filled with pain. So this morning I want to take a few more steps forward I want to talk about why Jesus came. but Before we do that, let's pray. Jesus, uh, when you were here on earth, you taught and you brought life in your words. And I am not you, but you are in me. And Holy Spirit, you were sent to help us and to guide us into all truth. And so I ask that you would open our minds to you and the understandings that you would have for us today and that you would close off the enemy's access to our minds to deter us, distract us, that you might have your way, that your desires would be accomplished in each one of us in this time. Come Holy Spirit, come Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Throughout these weeks, I have uh, particularly highlighted the declaration of Scripture that God is love. And I think, as we all know, that's more than simply saying that God is loving, which He is. But it means that His very being is love. Everything he thinks, feels, and does, is at its core, love. And love, always acts, for the good, of others, above oneself, always. That's the description, of love. Apostle John, writes in his first letter, in 1 John 1, 5, this is the message, we have heard from him, and proclaim to you, that God is light, And in him there is no darkness at all. James says a similar thing. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Light in the Bible is always a picture of truth and goodness, Darkness almost always speaks of lies and evil. And what these two verses are declaring is that there is within God only goodness, truth, and love. There's not even a tiny bit of darkness in God. There is none. So when we read things in the Bible that don't seem to line up with this God being love, then the best I can sort of say at this moment is that I don't think we've got the full picture. Does that make sense? When we read and consider passages that speak of God's view of sin, we need to learn to interpret what we're reading through the lens of God is love. Always. Always. In Genesis 6, we're told that at the time of Noah, the Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And it says that the Lord was grieved by this and his heart was filled with pain. Does that not sound like a loving daddy and mommy? And what God chose to do about the problem of sin in humankind was this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's God's response to sin. It always has been and it always will be. As we begin to consider this action that God took in dealing with the problem of sin and death, a first question that came to my mind this week was, why did God become human? Have you ever wondered about that? Why did God become human? Did he have to? I mean, he's God, right? He could do a lot of things. Couldn't he have found maybe a really good person and empowered them to do all that Jesus did? You know, superhero kind of thing? Couldn't God have found someone that would have been like a superhero that could get the job done? Or how about an angel? Angels apparently are pretty powerful. You know, that would be a little bit like Superman coming from Krypton, you know, with superpowers to fix the problem of sin and death. Okay, so even if God had to do it himself, couldn't he simply have shown up as God in human form? We seem to have some occurrences of that in the Old Testament. Couldn't, couldn't he have just sort of showed up in human form and fixed the problem? Or if he did have to be really human to deal with the problem of sin and death, couldn't he have just shown up as an adult? He just kind of walked down out of the mountain. And and taking care of it. Well, I guess not. (laughs) I guess to accomplish what he needed to do about the problem of sin and death, he had to be human and have been born like us. Having flesh. Human flesh. The ability to choose to love God or not. I said this once, gosh, I remember so well. I said this one Easter, or Palm Sunday or something, gosh, 10, 15 years ago here in our church. And after I said it, somebody came up to me after church and they just, they just argued, they just were ready to argue. All I could just stand there and listen to them aim at their shotguns at me. And they just could not. They just, this did not work for them. And it may not work for you, so don't, Here it is. Jesus could have sinned. In my opinion, if he couldn't have, then what the blankety blank do we need him for? So good good example we got there, he's God. God doesn't sin. No, I think that human thing and that baby thing and growing up as a teenager with hormones and, you know, power and the offering of Satan to rule and I think that was real temptation. Hebrews thinks it was. The writer wrote Hebrews said he was tempted in all ways. And if he couldn't sin, then he wasn't tempted. Give me a break. Right? But he chose to not sin. He turned Satan down. No thanks. I got somebody else that I kind of a little more concerned about than you. You? You can go to hell. Oh, sorry. Did I say that? I am quite excited about this material. Okay, where in the world am I here? Yeah, right, that one. In the, in the, the wilderness, that's what he said. It, it's there, you can find it. I don't know where, but it's in there. Um, this, this aspect of him being human, having been born like us, Paul references this in 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to this. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so we will be made alive in Christ. As all die in Adam, so all will be made alive. Because why? Because we're dead. Without God, we are perishing. Paul goes on though, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And I'm going to come back to that next week. So Jesus came as a human being. And what was his purpose? What did he come to do? And there are, throughout the New Testament, a variety of, of passages that speak about Jesus' purpose, and I've I've brought about seven or so. First one comes at the birth announcement and his miraculous birth um, from Matthew chapter one, kind of from the Joseph side, Mary's sides over in Luke. I went with this one because it felt like it worked better. But you can go to that one, too. Now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way when his mother, Mary, had been engaged to Joseph. But before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So Joseph didn't know that yet. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. Quietly. I was thinking about this, I'm again I'm writing the sermon, right? I've, I spent all day Thursday, all day Friday, and all day Saturday yesterday on this. Studying, thinking, reflecting. And and something caught my attention here. His people. Well, in the context of what Matthew was saying, I think what Matthew probably was imagining were the Jewish people nation of Israel. But that's not all of his people. Who are all of his people? Everyone. There's not a person who's not his people. Particularly as he had become human. So we're told that his purpose was that he would save his people. The word save here is the word Sozo, sozo, as we have learned before, and it means to deliver, to heal, to make whole. To deliver, to heal, to make whole. Keep that in mind. In Matthew 4, we're told about what Jesus did describing His ministry and activities. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. Wish he was there walking around today. Maybe he is. And people brought to him all who were ill. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Jesus here is expressing three kinds of activity, three kinds of ministry, three kinds of works, deeds, activity. He taught in the religious centers. He preached the good news of the kingdom and he sozoed saving people through delivering, healing, and making people whole. So it doesn't say this is why Jesus came, but it looks like that's why Jesus came. looks like he came to sozo people to deliver, heal, and make people whole. Luke, writing in the book of Acts, described Jesus' activity in a similar way, saying, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good. A little bit like Robin Hood, right? Doing good. And healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Well, that's not quite the story of Robin Hood. That one's the story of Jesus. The Apostle John described Jesus' purpose in a different manner While connecting his pre existent deity with his human life in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. And the word became flesh and lived among us. He took on humanity. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of of grace, the empowering presence of God, and truth. So here John describes Jesus participating in creation, being the giver of life, being light, overcoming darkness, and not being overcome by it, taking on human flesh, but living full of the empowering presence of God and truth. The Apostle John also described another aspect of Jesus' purpose in 1 John chapter 3. says the Son of God was revealed for this to destroy the works of the devil. In John 10, Jesus describes and contrasts the work of the devil with his own purpose. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life, a full and abundant life. Does not use the term eternal in this particular passage, though, of course, we're familiar with it in John 3.16. He came to bring life. Full and abundant life. Why? Because we're dead. Without God, we are dead in our sins. We are perishing. Jesus came to give us life. Full and abundant. And then our famous evangelistic verse. That doesn't say anything about forgiveness. Though we think of it that way. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Shall have a God kind of life. A divine kind of life. I'm going to spend uh, the rest of our time here this morning with this verse. And I've never done this before. It's the first time I was, I was led, I think, by the Holy Spirit to um, do inductive Bible study, so to speak, on this verse, which I did. And now I'm bringing to you uh, some thoughts about the various aspects of this passage. For God so loved the world. Now we, we could get sidetracked and say, oh God, I guess he likes the earth. Well, he, he does actually. He thought it was pretty good when he created it. He looked at it and said, that was really cool. The animals and the oceans and the stars. But world here is talking about the world systems. Our societies. The world um, aspect of the connectedness of humankind through nations and peoples, tribes, languages. And God loves all of that. But it includes humankind within that umbrella statement. Loved the world, all within it, including us, you and me. Do you remember the verse I read earlier about the wickedness of humankind when we think about love, that God is love? Remember the words from Genesis 6, 6? The Lord was grieved by this awareness of, Of humankind's fallenness. And his heart was filled with pain. I'd like to invite you to close your eyes for a moment. And join me in a reflection. And I, I want you to sort of picture. God. Father, Son, and Spirit. Prior to the creation. Living in this community of love. Father, Son, and Spirit. Full of joy. All truth. A glorious thing. But love spilled over. Love said, hey man, we need more people to love. We need more to join us in this family. This community of love. Let's create a world. And a people. And God created humankind in our world. And he declared it good. And then God knelt before Adam and Eve and he blessed them. He honored them. He respected them. And he loved them. And Adam and Eve joined the Father, Son, and Spirit in their community of love. They walked together. They had intimate relationships, sharing one with another. What a beautiful thing that was. And then Adam and Eve became distracted. They were filled with desire and lust. Something they didn't have. And they questioned God's goodness. Questioned his love. They would be like God. And then time passes and God looks at his creation. He looks upon humankind and this is what he sees. That the wickedness of humankind was so great in the earth that every intention of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. Can you not imagine his grief and pain? Can you not imagine his broken and aching heart? Can you imagine what ends his love might go to redeem and restore his beloved creation? Can you imagine what end he might go to to win them back? That he might even be willing to to offer his own life as a means of an exchange, payment. His very life given in death in their place. His death in our place. Is that not the picture of a God of love? worship set today was so beautiful. They were all referencing this incredible gift that God has given us of love. You can open your eyes if you want or you can take a nap. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Can you imagine being a mom or dad whose son is currently among those American military stationed in the Mediterranean who are there standing in the gap for innocent people? Can you imagine that that mom and dad might rather have their son at home than over there? And may I suggest... As one of the songs did this morning, that God the Father sending his Son to accomplish what he would have to do was no small thing. That that cost was something we may never fully grasp or understand. That God gave his only Son, he didn't have to. He didn't have to do this for humankind. He made a choice because he is love. And then it speaks that whoever, meaning anyone and everyone. You and me. And whoever it was that ordered those chemical weapons fired this week on that Syrian community. And those people that are responsible for the 600,000 to 800,000 of human beings that are trafficked as slaves across international borders every year. And the numerous someones that are responsible for the 20 to 30 million human lives being held against their will in the world today. That whoever would believe. Believe in him. You know, as simple as that phrase sounds and as familiar as it is to us, I think it might be the hardest one of this passage to grasp. In the New Testament, the word believe in the Greek is the word pistou. And the word faith is the Greek root word of that word, which is pisces, like pistol. It's the same word. They're just a different derivative. Here's how the writer of Hebrew defines faith. We're speaking of believing in Jesus. Now, faith is the confident assurance of things hoped for, The evidence and proof of things not seen. To have faith or believe in Jesus is to trust Him. To have confidence in Him. To accept that what He says is true. To the degree that we act upon what he says. That we live as if what he said were true. And here's a problem I think that we have in much of the church today. I would suggest, as others have, that we have a profession of belief. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, yeah, he lived, he died, he rose again. Yeah, I got it. But it doesn't make any difference. I mean, I believe in George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Russell Crowe. Though I'm not sure what I believe about Russell Crowe. But I do believe in him, that he exists, I think. Could he be just a CGM? What do you call those, the characters that aren't really real? CGI? Do you think Russell Crowe might be CGI? What if, what if there's another actor that's acting in place of Russell Crowe? Okay. We believe a lot of things. But how many of them direct your life and make changes about how you're going to live Tomorrow. What are we basing our decisions on for how we spend our money or our time or what we do in our relationships or when we're alone? What are we trusting Jesus for? What are we trusting in Him for? Forgiveness of our sins. It's good. Check. That we're going to go to heaven when we die? Check. Got it. I'm in. Check the boxes. I'm trusting Jesus as forgiveness for my sins and that I get to go to heaven. But what about tomorrow? What, what about the next day? H- how is Jesus involved in our lives? How is he directing our lives and our decisions, the way we act and treat people? Whoever believes in him and entrusts their life to him will not perish but have eternal life. So what does perish mean? They shall not perish. There's another verse in the New Testament that uses the same Greek word in it. It's just from 2 Peter 3 9. It says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not willing any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And I might highlight, the word willing there is the word not wanting, not wishing, and not willing. What's God's will? That none should perish. That's what I get from it. So what does perish mean? Interestingly, in English, we speak of things being perishable. Right? Meaning that they are susceptible to spoil, rot. Or decay. I just—I was cutting up tomato, not tomatoes, cutting up strawberries this week, and at the bottom of the box, as I got down there, were these moldy, yucky, awful strawberries, evil strawberries. They were contaminating everything around them. I took my knife and I went, "No, I didn't," but I did have strawberries like that. They were perishing. The Greek word, "apolamai" has numerous other meanings. I love that about all languages. Well, gosh, it, it could mean two, but it could mean two or two. Right? T-O-O, T-O, T-W-O, what in the world do we mean? Well, the context tells you. Unless you don't have enough context. Greek word polemae means, is used and described as to be ruined. Which would probably parallel this idea of spoil and decay. To be ruined. Uh, It does have and include the aspect of to be destroyed. And to suffer death. But there's one more meaning that I was startled out of my socks. Well, I wasn't wearing socks, I was wearing flip-flops. I was startled out of my flip-flops this week as I did my little word study thing that I love to do. And I, lo and behold, I found out where some other places that that Greek word apolomai is used. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came near to Jesus to listen to his talks. Can you imagine that? Those tax collectors, those notorious sinners. And the Pharisees and the scribes were so upset, grumbling and complaining, gossiping and slandering. This Jesus, he welcomes sinners. He even eats with them. Oh, No. It goes on to say, Jesus, knowing what they were saying, can you imagine that? Grumble, grumble, grumble. Oh my goodness, how did Jesus hear about that? Yeah, right. And Jesus shared three very brief, short, pointed stories, back to back to back, to tell them who matters to God. And there is the story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and the story of the lost son. And the word used in each of these is the Greek word apolomai. Perish. Be destroyed. To be lost. And may I suggest that it is possible that when Paul said that God is not willing any to perish that he it might have included in it the meaning that God is not willing that any be lost Jesus picked the word and when Jesus said whoever believes in him shall not perish that it could be translated whosoever believes in him shall not be lost to god two of my daughters were in a horrific car accident numerous years ago one of them's here bless god horrific accident we really didn't know exactly what was going on or what their status we get a telephone call on sunday morning We jump in the car, we grab a trailer, and we drive up there. All the time I'm thinking, what am I going to find? I didn't want to lose my girls. And I didn't. Bless God. And Jesus doesn't want to lose us either. But have eternal life. Now I mentioned earlier... And I've mentioned before that, that because of this word eternal in this statement, it's commonly believed that Jesus is speaking out of a time, talking about a time in the future. Eternal life, you know, that life that we're going to have someday in heaven after we die. That, that, that that's, that's what's in the minds of most Christians. Not all, but most Christians when they hear that and, and shall have eternal life, they will get to go to heaven when they die. It doesn't say that. It says that they might have eternal life. And the word eternal here is not the noun. It's not eternal life. It's an adjective describing the life. It's a kind of life. It's a eternal kind of life. It's a divine kind of life. It's the kind of life that the Trinity share in the spiritual realm where they are experiencing their community of love and where they want us to be with them in it. That kind of life. And that kind of life, he wanted that to start the day you met him. This is not a kind of life that we wait until we die to get. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and life to the full. The fullness of what you were created and designed as a human being to live. That's eternal life. That kind of life lived with God. God with us. That relational aspect that we are created to be. That eternal kind of life. Eternal life is described, is defined only one time. It's referenced a lot, but it's only defined once. And that's in John 17. Jesus is in uh, the longest prayer that we have recorded for us, a beautiful, wonderful prayer about all kinds of topics that are just really hard to understand. He and the Father are one. We're to be one with them like they're one with one another, and we're to be one with each other. And Spatially, physically, it doesn't work. Spiritually, it works just fine. In the eternal kind of life, it works just fine. Father, the hour has come glorifying Your Son so that the Son may glorify You since You have given Him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom You have given Me to Him. And this is eternal life that Jesus has been given power to give that they may know You. The only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, that they may know you. There's this word know here, as it's used here as well as in almost all the other cases in the Bible, but not all. There are some that speak of knowledge. But this word here in this form is referencing knowing in a relational way. And it's the word used of intimacy between a husband and wife. That's pretty intimate. They know one another. And Jesus is saying, eternal life is this kind of intimate, relational, interactive relationship. It is not to know about someone. Here's an example. Please don't be offended by the person I chose. I just thought it was, you know, it's on, it's on the news, so thought might bring it up. How many of you know about our new president, Donald Trump? Everybody know about him, right? I mean, he did something this week. He ordered something, speaking of ordering things and um and how do you know about him? News what'd you say Joyce? Faith news, Faith news. all right uh, anybody uh, read read Twitter I, I connected to his Twitter site me neither but I, I don't know how to twitter, so that's that's probably okay. So, all right, we know about him, not very much, right? But we know him. So do any of you actually know President Trump? Any of you ever shaken his hand or were in a room with him even? Anybody here got his cell number? (laughs) Anybody Skyped with him lately? Okay. So none of us know Donald Trump. So let me ask you this then. Who do you know in an intimate, interactive relationship? Because that's what eternal life is. Eternal life is an intimate, interactive relationship with God. But Jesus is clear in that same prayer that we're supposed to have that with one another. By this they shall know that you are my disciples if you have Love, intimate, interactive, caring relationships. So who do you have an intimate, interactive, caring relationship with? I'll give you a minute. You only have two hands, and that's probably all you need. I don't mean that. I do kind of mean that derogatorily. If I were to speak about myself... I have an intimate, interactive relationship with my wife and my daughters and my sons to a degree. Not the same as my wife. But we have interaction. There's intimacy and care. I just wept over a remembrance of almost losing. One, two. But I also have probably uh, a knowing, caring uh some kind of intimacy of interactive relationship with with maybe a dozen or maybe a couple dozen of you here I, I meet with people on a regular basis, even even the little bit that we get here isn't it's interactive sort of but but genuinely there's there's people in this room that I don't have an intimate interactive relationship with, but that's that's why we have multiple leaders. It's, it's awesome that we have Clara and me, right? And and then we have other, you know, it's a great. We got two of us. And most of you are in an interactive relationship with Clara. And you wave hi to me on Sundays. And that's okay, because she's the pastor and I'm the administrator. Though I pastor, because I have intimate, interactive relationships with quite a few here. And... I have an interactive relationship without maybe the intimacy or the caring as much with many of you and my co-workers and my boss. There's not as much real intimacy of really being vulnerable and knowing intimate things. But, but there's, there's relationship and, and those can grow into other things. So how many of those do you have? And if you don't have them, what are you doing about stepping into eternal life? With God and one another. Because that's what Jesus means. Jesus' meaning by knowing the Father and Son is an intimate, caring, interactive relationship. So let me paraphrase John 3.16 and then we're almost done. Kind of a paraphrase, taking into consideration some of those things I've shared this morning. For God so loved you that He gave His one and only Son, Jesus. That you, through entrusting your life to Him, believing in Him, that you would not be lost to Him but that you would have an intimate, interactive, caring relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit that would begin today and go on through all of eternity. That was why Jesus was born. Why he lived, died, and rose again to deliver us from the grip of the evil one. Us from our sins to heal our broken person and to restore us to intimate, interactive relationship with God. Can the worship team Join me. Can we try and pull that off? Oh, Joyce, looking at the time. That's. <laughs> You're right. Uh, there, uh, The song. David, can you pull up the song that I mentioned? I keep forgetting its title. Because all the songs were good. And they were all about the cross. Which is good. That's not a derogatory statement. That was good. I congratulated the worship leader. You all know who the worship leader was this morning, right? Our new drummer? No, kidding. Hey, we got a new drummer that's helping out. (laughs) Mercy takes a break. Can you imagine that? Why in the world would she have taken a break? Goodness gracious. And then there's Randy. Starts preaching every Sunday. Goodness gracious. Better have somebody to cover. We do. Thank you very, very much, dear friend Ben. The, um, David, what's the name of it? It's the Here I Am to Worship. And and this is what we're going to do for our closing. Can you help? We good? Want the words? Yes. Want, yes, we want the words. This is what, how we're going to end our service. We're going to reflect on what we just talked about and experienced and we're going to Maybe some of you, if you're comfortable enough, will get down on your knees and worship because the word worship means to be on our knees. Prostitupinao. It means to kiss the feet. Now, have you ever heard that one or not? It's what a person would do to a king. They would crawl in on their hands and knees and they would kiss the king's feet. That's what that word worship is. I'm not asking you to kiss anybody's feet, and please don't get anywhere near mine but here we are to worship to bow down to say that you are our God Jesus to say that you are altogether lovely altogether worthy altogether wonderful to me for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not be lost but would have intimate interactive relationship with him. hard to imagine what you went through. To step down from heaven. To take on human flesh. To be born a baby in an animal feeding trough. setting aside somehow all of the the power of divinity taking on humanity fully God fully man but living as a human being dying as a human being And raised into newness of life as a human being. Thank you. Would you just, in your own hearts, would you just join me in saying, Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit thank you for this life this abundant life that you long for us to experience that's available today it's available right now to every one of us the kingdom of God is here it is at hand it is all around us it is God here among us with us and in us no other religion has this none none describe an interactive relationship of knowing you would you come and help us become more aware of you in our lives would you help us to walk into and learn to live This eternal kind of life? Come. Come, God. Come, Holy Spirit. Empower us to do what we cannot do and to live how we cannot live. And to be all that you have called and created us to be. For your glory. And for ours. Jesus, you are the hope of glory. You are the hope of our living in eternal life with you. Every day, every moment, while we're sleeping, while we're alert, while we're not, while we're working, while we're driving. To live an eternal kind of life connected to you. Oh, help us, God. Help us. Help us to learn how to walk in your ways. How to live according to you, Holy Spirit. To learn from you, Jesus, our teacher and master you Holy Spirit our guide and interpreter and teacher oh God let your church wake up might we wake up to the reality of what life is supposed to be like and become those ambassadors of reconciliation that you have designed us to be leading others To food and water, to real life. Oh, Jesus, through you and in you, we live, we move, we have our being, and we pray. Well, that was long. Thank you for putting up with me. Might you have a God God life this week. A God kind of life. See you next week. Remember to come at 10 or earlier if you're bringing food. Bless you.